0: Hey our passage this morning is Luke 12. So if you want to turn in your Bibles to Luke 12. If you have a device, if you're new with us this morning, we go through the uh, ESV, English Standard Version. That's Luke chapter 12. We're going to be picking up in uh, verse 13. I think we're about 6 weeks into our Parables of Jesus series taking us through uh, June and July of this year. The question we've been asking really To sort of set up ourselves every Sunday is what is life supposed to be like under the rule and reign of Jesus and so what Jesus did during his ministry while he was proclaiming the gospel the way in which he did that is that he would tell parables and parables are just short stories that illustrate uh, truth and so he would use these parables as a way to talk about what it meant that he had entered the world And what we say in the phrase that we use for Jesus entering the world is that the kingdom of God has arrived. And we have defined the kingdom of God, this arrival of Jesus, which of course has changed the rest of our lives as just meaning the good life that we now live uh, with Jesus. And so we pick up today in Luke 12, and we're going to be looking at this parable called the parable of the rich fool. So I'm going to pick right up here with verse 13, and this is what it says. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Verse uh, 16, and he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, what shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Verse 20, but God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is the word of the Lord for us this morning. So the big idea uh, that Jesus is communicating is this. He says it straight out. There's no mystery here. He says, Life does not consist in the abundance of one's material possessions. Rather those who are part of God's kingdom should pursue that which gives us abundant hearts for God and for others. There it is. I should just pray. We should do communion and we're out. Like the message is that simple for us. Um, But why? Why should we do that? Why should we pursue those things that make us rich toward God instead of poor toward God? Well, it's because covetousness which we would define as wanting something that we don't have or wanting something that others have is foolishness. It's foolishness. And foolishness is what amounts to poorness. That's P-O-O-R-N-E-S-S toward God and we find out here that when we are not rich toward God but we are poor towards God because we've accumulated things that give us a different kind of riches that the world chases after and pursues after and holds in highest value and esteem what we find is that it becomes very very costly for us. And so as you look down at verse 13 you see this man asking Jesus a question Jesus who would have been a considered a rabbi or a teacher Uh, And at the time, what's interesting about this is that rabbis were people that could actually settle disputes. So this brother comes in, has a question for Jesus in a way to ask him that he might settle a dispute between him and his brother. So he approaches Jesus and he demands sort of this unilateral judgment from Jesus concerning an inheritance that seems to be entirely his brother's who was likely at that time the firstborn son. And in that, uh, in, in that particular time in history, in Jewish culture, the firstborn son would have received a double portion of the family estate. So what we can maybe derive from this is that this is a man who came to Jesus. Uh, his older brother had received a double portion, and he was wanting to get some of that double portion that really by law wasn't his. And so he goes to Jesus and he says, hey, Rabbi, why don't you settle this dispute? Why don't you tell my brother to sort of let a little bit of his, uh, of his estate, of his portion, come to me? And what's interesting is that Jesus gives kind of a sharp reply uh, in verse 14, right? What does he say? He says, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? Well, why, why does Jesus say that? Why is Jesus so sharp, uh, to this man who was asking him to maybe settle a dispute. Well, Matthew Henry, he's a commentator, old school guy from a few hundred years ago. This is what he said about Jesus' response. He said, he came not to be a divider of men's estates, but he came to be a director of their consciences about them. So Jesus wasn't here. Jesus didn't come to the earth as he was preaching the gospel and his earthly ministry to settle people's estates or to give them particular judgments about what the law was already clear about. Jesus was going after something far deeper. He was going after the estate of men's hearts. And so he illustrates this point with a parable about this rich landowner, what we just read. And if we get down here into verse... uh, 16 it says uh, he tells them a parable saying the land of a rich man produced plentifully so what we understand about the parable jesus is telling is that uh, this man had a crop had land that was plentiful for him god had given him a particular blessing where he had everything that he needed and not only everything he needed but everything that he needed plus plus. So he had been given in abundance. And one thing we know about God's blessings is that he doesn't just reserve blessings for his own people. God will bless uh, both the just and the unjust, right? God will give blessings to those who call him Lord and blessings to those who, who curse him as Lord. We see that God does this in his grace, in his generosity. So for this particular man who eventually <clears throat> excuse me, is going to be called a fool, God had given this man, this fool, more than he needed. And then you get to verse 17, and he asks himself a question as he looks at all of his goods, and he looks at the plentifulness of his land, (coughs) excuse me, and he says, what the heck? He says, what am I going to do? He feels like he's in a quandary when he looks at all of his excess. And so what we see here right off the top is that abundance had driven this brother to anxiety. Where to store his crops had become his stress. Now remember, the land had what? It had produced plentifully. And again, most of us, we have a term for this, right? Most of us would call this like a good problem to have, right? So at first glance, when we read this, we're in verse 17, we kind of wonder what the problem is, right? We look down at this and we go, I don't know that I would do anything different. Because when he says here in verse 18, hey, I know what I'm going to do. What I'm gonna have to do is tear down my barns, build bigger barns to have some place to store the plentifulness. I need something to house the excess that I have. And at first glance, it feels like to us, well, hey, isn't this the next logical step for us? Like, isn't this what good business people do, right? It actually sounds like good stewardship in a lot of ways. And we look down at verse 18. But what in reality happens is we get insight into the working of this man's heart because when we get to verse 19, he says, And I will say to my soul, So this isn't something where this man is just making, you know, just a good business decision because he's had a good crop and he needs to expand his business because this is something that is benefiting society. It's good for his family and the community now is going to flourish. But he is having an inward conversation with where this plentifulness is really has arrived at in, in himself, And it's something that had arrived at the soul and the heart level. And now he's speaking to his soul where the abundance of his crops are really lying. And what does he say in verse 19? He says, and I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up. Like, dude, you're good. This abundance now has given you something that you can bank on. He says, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. So it's interesting for us as we look at this, as we start to contemplate some of the reaction of this man. We start to think about some of the blessings and the abundance that God has given us. And we start to become a little self-reflective of what this verse might mean for us. We see a few things going on here in the heart of this man, which at first looked like somebody who had been blessed and was trying to make good financial decisions. But we look down and we see now that something is a little off here. And this is what Jesus is driving at. Because at the end of the day, you don't buy a bigger wallet because you plan on giving more money away. Do you? Right? I mean, you don't buy a, okay, here's something for Ashlyn. You don't buy a bigger gun safe because you plan on scaling back your gun collection. I feel like you guys are quiet. I'm just trying to rope you back in. All right? You don't buy more storage bins because you plan on hauling things out to the dumpster. That's not what you do. That makes no logical sense. And so, what we see in this brother is we see that his grain and his goods weren't merely his soul possessions, but they were the possessors of his soul. They had become something different, they had transformed into something more than they were meant to be. His God was riches, and he wanted to build a bigger temple to worship his God. Now, that makes us really uncomfortable, and we don't like to think about the things that we do with the abundance that we've been given to look like nothing more than maybe worshiping at the altar of the idol of the things that we have rather than the one who has given us those particular things. This puts us in a really uncomfortable state, right? Because we don't like to think that our hearts are that easily swayed towards money and towards riches and towards accumulation and towards things that intrinsically we know don't last, but for some reason we keep going back after them. You guys remember, it's not Christmas, but I'm going to go Ebenezer Scrooge on you here for a minute. We remember the story of Ebenezer Scrooge. At some point, his heart had been turned His heart had been swayed towards the accumulation of wealth at the absence of everything else. And what had happened to his life? Well, his life had become just a driving pursuit towards those things. And everything else around him reflected the way that his heart had been shaped by that pursue. And in fact, when you look at the story of Ebenezer Scrooge, what's amazing, if you read the book or you watch the movie 12 times at Christmas like I do, what you find out is that he didn't even make a better life for himself. He wasn't even a guy that that took his his own money and his own possessions and tried to create something even a little bit better for him and his family. No, he actually did, did the opposite of that. He didn't benefit others. He didn't even benefit Himself. So this man, in our parable, this man's desire to achieve more for his own sake, it had produced a poorness of character in him. And it did it in two ways. Number one, uh, it made him greedy. It produced greed inside of him. I don't know that we talk that much about greed in the church. Jesus talks a lot about greed. And I feel like I, I, I can't even count on one hand the number of sermons that I've heard on this subject of greed. I think it's because it sits this close to our our faces all the time. But Jesus had a lot of things to say about greed. And we look down at what had happened to this man's heart. What we see is that there were many good things he could have done with his grain and his goods. But he didn't. His first thought was, what can I do to store these grain and these goods, this grain and these goods. So it produced greed. The second thing it produced in him was it produced ignorance in him. Being so shaped by the accumulation of things that had no heavenly value had produced a level of ignorance in him because he believed his grain and his goods were all he needed for the enrichment of his soul. That's the transformation that all of this had taken, the effect that it had taken. Now, how, how many of you guys remember that show, Hoarders? I think it, yeah, a few of you, few of you are, are, are you know, brave enough to admit that you used to watch Hoarders. I appreciate that. Um, you know, it's so amazing about that show when you think about it. And uh, there, there's, there's some sobriety and some sadness when we watch that show. Uh, seeing these people and they just fill their houses and their hallways and their bedrooms and they you know they just keep collecting these things and everything gets stacked and you 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 know you, the the camera would go inside the house and you could barely even move and they had these little you know passageways that you could barely fit through because their house was just stacked with all this accumulation of things that they had hoarded right um, man it's so easy to look at people like that and just think oh that's sad that's sad that they're suffering under this uh, this particular debilitating Uh, disease and and, and it is it is sad there's no doubt about that but here's my question for us all right um, to make a point and to drive us in back into this parable is are, are we just more civilized hoarders are we just a little more civilized than those people that we saw in this particular reality show because in a lot of ways hoarders just stack the things inside their houses that we do in our garages don't they right? But because we have them in our garages, somehow, you know, you open up a garage and it's stacked out, and the answer is, oh, it's not that I'm a whore, it's just I haven't cleaned my garage. I just haven't cleaned that out, you know, as we're, you know, stuffing more stuff in so that we can shut the door at the end of the day. It's interesting what this, what kind of effect this has on on our soul, and I think we dismiss it, don't we? This was a man who was dismissing the effects that this abundance that God had blessed him with had had on his soul. And Jesus says, hey, we need to be really careful about this. In Matthew 16, 26, Jesus says, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world? Isn't is amazing how far-reaching said? Like my wife tells me a lot of times, dude, like the examples you give are always so extreme. Matthew 16, 26. What will it profit a man if he gains What? Just a couple of nice things. If he gains the whole world, dude, all of it. But he forfeits his soul. And then he kind of asks this question at the end of the verse. He says, what shall a man give in return for his soul? What's worth it? What's worth a man's soul? Is it in the accumulation of things? Is it in the abundance of his possessions? Jesus is saying it's not, but be very careful and be guarded because there is an allure to that. There is a subtlety in that that all of us need to be very careful about. And then we get to verse 20. God calls him out as a fool. He calls him out as a fool. He said this night, you didn't even know it, but as you were hatching these plans inside of your head, this night your soul is required of you. So God said, you've been a fool. You have followed a foolish path. Why? Well, it wasn't because his land had produced so plentifully. That's not why. No. Because what God is the one who made the rainfall and he made the sunshine, right, on the man's land so that it produced the crops that the man got to enjoy in abundance. That's not why he was a fool. He was a fool because he planned for the wrong future. Okay, I need you to hear me on this one. He was a fool because he planned for the wrong future. This accumulation, this all-out drive towards wealth and towards the securing of his wealth, it had enslaved his soul. So, When God required his soul, it was under the wrong ownership. Do you guys understand what I'm saying with that? It was under the wrong ownership. So in verse 21, Jesus issues this sober warning against laying up treasure for ourselves, against having a high value in our heart for things that will be discounted items in someone else's future garage sale. Right, So everything we purchase, everything we buy, and this is not anti-purchase, it's not anti-buy. I've clicked on Amazon Prime like twice, three, okay, six times this week. I don't know. I don't remember. You can ask my lady. The point is not how many times we're clicking on Amazon Prime. I, it's a little bit of the point. But the point is what is being clicked on in our soul when we do that? What is the effect that it's having on our soul, what is driving us to our clicks. That's what he's saying because everything we accumulate, everything we purchase, everything we buy will literally be somebody else's discounted sale item at a future garage sale. It's so sobering to the point of ridiculousness, isn't it? I remember when we moved to Ohio eight years ago and we did one of these, you pack your own uh, semis, you know, I forget, what, what, what is it called? U-Haul, yeah, something like that. And um, <laughs> sure, you know. Um, so we're packing this thing, and when I say we, I mean my friend who actually knew how to pack things, and he came in and he helped us pack. And so, you know, you're packing this thing, and you're, you're, like, you're like halfway through, and you're like, there's no way all my stuff's going to fit. You're like just convinced because you're looking in your garage, you're looking at the boxes, you're halfway into this gig and you're like, there's no way, brother, there's no way it's going to fit. Like three feet later, it's all in, it fits. And you got all this room in the back and then you look at the other person. In this case, it was my lovely Melissa. And I said, is this it? You just think, is this all we own? Like everything, we couldn't even fill up one of these U-Hauls, like with all of our stuff that we've accumulated over the years. That wasn't something that made me feel better. That wasn't something that made me feel less materialistic. Okay, that's not my point. My point was that there was a sobriety that happened when we looked at these things, some things that we'd you know, paid off for years or whatever they were, appliances, things of that, things we actually needed. But you look at that and we looked at that and you think, is this all I have to show for my life? And it's a picture of this man. It's a picture of that moment in all of our lives when we get to a place when God is going to require our soul and we're going to sit there and go, wait a minute. This was what I spent my time pursuing? It was those things that are literally not even going to be mine anymore after I meet the Lord? So this is a parable that is meant to bring about some sobriety in our lives. Because I think it's about three things for us. I think this parable speaks into three, three areas of our life. I think it's about these three things. Number one, it's about, it's about the state of our hearts, really. It's about the state of our hearts. It's not necessarily about how much you have, but about how much you treasure what you have more than Jesus. And that has to be the takeaway for us Today. Go down to verse 32. This is what Jesus says. He says, Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy, he says. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys And then he ends with this. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So what this is about is it's about the state of our hearts more than anything else. 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. So at the same time, we're warned to guard ourselves against the love of money. Because it's the root of all kinds of evils. And First Timothy goes on to say, it is through this craving, it says, that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. I don't know that we take it this seriously because of the level of things that we have all acquired, regardless of, of the socioeconomic place we find ourselves in. You know, if you do stats, if you look at what people have around the world, all of us have kind of a lot, Right? We know that to be true. But it's the craving for those things. It's the desire for those things here from 1 Timothy that some, it says, have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So our desire for things, the high value that we put on possessions, it's so dangerous. It's so alluring that it says some have even wandered from the faith. And they have been succumbed with many pangs and sorrows. What I find so interesting is that the man never carries out his plans. Do you guys catch that? It wasn't what he did. He never did it. He never, got to, he never built the barn. It's what was driving his heart to do what he was never able to fulfill. This is what God judged him for, Right? When God required his soul, there was no barn. There was no new barn. It was what was in his head. It was what was in his heart. John Calvin said, to love this life is not in itself wrong, provided that we pass through it as pilgrims, keeping our eyes always fixed on the object. Hebrews chapter 13, 5 and 6 says, keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have For he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, Hebrews says, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? In other words, the acquiring of possessions from a heart that seeks to find its security and comfort from those things, harm can be done to our soul in that. But when we are pursuing the things of God, when we see Christ as our treasure to behold and to take in as our greatest value, what can man do to take that away from us? Well, the answer is nothing. So it's about the state of our hearts, too. It's about one of two futures for us. So we all categorically fit into this. If you're someone who's like, dude, don't try to box me in. I'm not. Jesus is boxing us in right here. We have two futures in front of us. There's a future for foolishness, and there's a future for faithfulness. And ain't none of y'all are going to establish some third category. Those are the two categories. When Jesus calls the man a fool, he doesn't mean he's unintelligent. That's not what he's saying. He's saying he's been unwise, is what he's been saying. He's obviously intelligent. He's ran a successful business, He's a successful, a rich landowner. He's done some things right. We would qualify some of his actions as being, hey, this is the direction you go to create successful business. Nothing wrong with that. Proverbs eleven twenty-eight 28 says, whoever trusts, though, in his riches will fall. And that was the direction that this brother had taken. But the righteous, it says, will flourish like a green tree leaf. And when you think of a tree and you think of a leaf, what do you think of? You think of something that is outside. You think of something that has been subjected to all the seasons, all the elements, and yet because of what it's attached to, because what it finds its rootedness in, it has a future of flourishing. First Timothy 6.17 reminds us, he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them, this is Paul talking to Timothy, saying, hey, tell this to your your rich guys and gals in the congregation. Timothy was a pastor. He says, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy? He didn't say, listen, he didn't say the uncertainty of riches, but on the blessings of God. What does he say? He says, but on God. God. Who richly provides us with everything to enjoy? There's a stacking thing here. It's not the blessings of God. It's God who gives the blessings. So at the end of our lives, we are going to be marked by people that pursued foolishness or pursued faithfulness. And listen, in our faithfulness, we have our seasons of foolishness. And God pulls us back from those foolish, heart-inducing behaviors. And he continues to shape our hearts towards greater and more richer faithfulness. Finally, third, it's about being rich in righteousness. Listen, I need you to really listen to me right now as we finish. To walk away today focused on your possessions or to walk away today focused on your lack of possessions, right? Some of y'all are like, dude, I got nothing, I don't even know how this applies to me. Listen, to focus on possessions or your lack of possessions is still in some way being possessed by them. That's not the focus here. The question is this. Does Jesus possess your heart? If the kingdom of God is the good life with Jesus, like we've been learning, and Jesus says seek first the kingdom of God, it means that our hearts have a longing for something, for something, for something, that is meant to be fulfilled, or he wouldn't have given us a heart with a longing. So, you all, I all, have longing because God gives you a heart that longs to be filled by something that will actually fill it. And his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. As we seek Jesus as our greatest treasure, his righteousness fills the longing of our souls while simultaneously enriching our hearts with the very fruit that his spirit provides that makes us rich toward God. The good life with Jesus is a process. It's a process where our preoccupation with material consumption, which we all struggle with, is in constant reversal Yes, we have to eat or we'll die. Yes, we have to wear clothes or we'll be arrested. That was the only, that's the only reason I had for wearing clothes, was just being arrested. God is not an unreasonable God. He's a resourceful God, right? But as much as he wants us to depend on him, he wants us to delight in him. And that's what we need to get from this. Jesus never says, listen, don't seek treasure. He says, treasure me. That's what he's saying. He says, seek me first to be fulfilled, and I will fill your needs. Jonathan Pennington writes, we must seek God's kingdom first, which will often mean letting go of our goods and our money. You all just think in the quietness and the conscience of your own heart what that looks like to let go of some things. But this is what he says, but Jesus motivates us to this counterintuitive solution by showing us when we do that, God our Father will provide for all of our needs. How can I believe that, Martin? How do I know that this is true? We know it's true because Jesus took the form of a servant. Because Jesus humbled himself and died on the cross so that when our souls are required of us they would be redeemed by the riches of his mercy and his grace someone who cares for the state of our souls after death will he not supply our needs until death Philippians 4:19 says and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory, in Christ Jesus. Someday, when our souls are required of us, we're going to be separated from our treasure or we're going to be reunited with our treasure if our treasure is Jesus. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have given us the fulfillment of our heart's longing in Jesus. I pray that he would become our treasure. Lord, I pray that we would take stock of our lives, that we would look at those things that enslave us, that we would look at the desires of our soul, and that you would draw us to repentance and you would redeem them. Or we know that you give us things. We know you provide for our needs. You also give us things we want. And you do that because you're good. You do that because you're a good father. And so, God, we thank you for those things. But, Lord, we want to be guarded against those things because here we see Jesus issuing warning after warning about the effect that they can have on our souls. And, Lord, we don't want to be fooled into foolishness but Lord, you have saved us to faithfulness. So allow us to be faithful with what you've given us. Don't let us be like this landowner who just plotted and dreamed of creating bigger storehouses for all of his blessings instead of being generous, instead of looking around him and seeing the needs that he could have used all of his abundance for. Lord, you've given us abundance. You've given us all varying degrees of abundance. Lord, may we take these things and as an act of faith in you and as an act of love for Christ as our greatest treasure, Lord, relinquish us from the enslavement that material possessions might be holding over us. Jesus, be our treasure. Let us be a church who treasures you more and more and sees the beauty and the goodness and the greatness and the surpassing worth that is contained when our lives are wholly given over to you. Would you do that for us, we pray, in the name of Christ. And together we said, amen. I'm gonna invite.